we've been talking through this series the last few last month or so called Color Like No Other, which is all about living out the resurrection. It's about imagining what the end is going to look like when God comes and imagining what it looks like for us today uh, to live kind of heaven on earth. Um, and today we're going to think about how we are called to be citizens of justice in our world. Um, and Becky's going to come and read for us uh, from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. There should be Bibles under your chairs if you want to grab one. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46. Uh, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So um, when Jesus was around, uh, he lived in a farming community. Uh, or in a rural community, and shepherds would lead their flocks uh, out in the mountains, and they'd have sheep and goats together, uh, sort of all mingled together. But there'd be some times where they'd need to separate out the sheep from the goats. So the shepherd would stand there with his staff, and the sheep would come up, and he'd tap uh, the sheep to his right and the goats to his left just by tapping them with his staff on the shoulder, and they'd move and they'd separate. And he'd have two flocks now of sheep and goats. And Jesus takes this picture, and he tells us a story about what it's going to be like Uh, when he comes back, when he returns. Uh, So I thought we'd start off with a little game of sheep or goat, because I know that is just what you want when you come to church. So I'm going to pick on some people. All you've got to do is tell me, is it a sheep or a goat? If you were here this morning, you don't get to play because it's cheating. So Raf, sheep or goat? (laughs) Um, Goat, I have no idea. You're right, well done Raf. Okay, it was a goat. Uh, Sheep or goat? Nicola, sheep or goat? Sheep. It's a goat. Oh, sorry. Um, Ellen, what about this one? Sheep or goat? Sheep. Yes, you're right. Well done. It is a sheep. Uh, 
Tommy, sheep or goat? Goat. It's a sheep. Sorry, Tommy. Don't win this time. Uh, last one. Sheep or goat? Cat. It's not a cat. Sheep or goat? Anyone? Anyone? It is a goat. Well done. Yeah. The trouble is, we, when we go to the farm, when I take my little daughter to the farm, uh, we know what the sheep and the goats are because they have a field for sheep and they have a field for goats. So I was thinking about this and what is it like? Well, what I did this morning with the kids is I got a bag of sugar and I said, who likes eating sugar? We had a nice spoonful of sugar because sugar tastes good. And then we got a bag of salt uh, and we said, who likes eating salt? And all the kids were like, yeah, yeah, I'll have a go, I'll have a go. But salt's not nice. Uh, so what would happen if I took some sugar and some salt uh, and we mixed it all together? Um, and it ends up looking like this. And Steve Lee this morning had a nice spoonful of sugar and salt together and promptly ran to the toilet. Um, so the sheep and the goats are all mixed up in the flock, but here the sugar and the salt are all mixed together. And what Jesus is saying is when he comes back, he's going to unmix the good from the bad. He's going to unmix the sheep from the goats. He's going to unmix the sugar and the salt. Uh, because our world is not only full of sugar. We might dream a dream of what Jesus' will for our world is. But if we tell ourselves that the world is all sweetness and all good, then we're kidding ourselves. But this message is a message of hope that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to draw out the good in this world. He's going to put the wrongs right and he's going to make things fair again. But it's a message about judgment. And actually, if we're honest, well, if I'm honest, I struggle to get my head around a God of judgment because I know a God of love and a God of grace. And I have this struggle with judgment. And in this passage, it makes it quite clear. And they talk about eternal fire and eternal punishment. And some of those words are quite hard to get our heads around. And probably what we'd rather do is skip over those bits and move on to bits of the Bible that we feel more comfortable with. But if we listen to Jesus, even in the hard bits, if we wrestle with the hard bits, and actually, maybe he's got something to say to us. So I wonder why we struggle with judgment. Well, I think there's a few reasons. We have this image, or we're given this image by some people, of an angry God. That happy new year makes it even worse, doesn't it? Turn or burn, happy new year. So there's this story that's told in some churches, and maybe we don't get it to this extreme, but even in our culture, we're told this story, which says God loves you, but at the end of time, if you haven't done the right things or said the right words, then he is going to fling you into a fiery furnace that's going to last forever. And uh, we struggle with that. And, and for me, uh, part of my sort of wrestled with my faith, and I'd say they still go on, is, is working out, well, God, there's a lot in the Bible that talks about judgment. And I know you as this loving God who's passionate about everyone. How do I reconcile those two things? How do I wrestle with those things? So even if we don't see something as extreme as this, that might be a real struggle for us. And the other struggle that we have with judgment and eternal punishment is that so much of our imagery is either kind of this childhood imagery or this medieval imagery of a guy with horns and a fire. Uh, and we've got this image of hell as this fiery pit and this devil with horns kind of torturing us or going around to trap people. Um, and a lot of that has come not from the Bible, but from kind of medieval times and when hell was used as a tool to manipulate people. The church said, if you don't do what we said, say, then this is where you're going to end up. And actually, by kind of reducing hell to this image, actually, we haven't really engaged with what Jesus says about it, with what it means for us. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how if we, all we see heaven as is an escape from earth, then we're missing the fullness of what God's got. But 
but often with that imagery comes this imagery of actually, and if you don't make it, then you're going down to this fiery, kind of uh, almost a cartoonish kind of place. Um, and then I think there's a third reason that we really struggle with understanding judgment, is that judgment in our culture has become something very specific. This man is called Wayne Bell. He, when he was 17, he stole a bike. And he was sentenced to, four, to a minimum of four years in prison. But at the time in this country, uh, we had something uh, called imprisonment for public protection orders, which meant if you were given one of those, you could be imprisoned indefinitely and you wouldn't be released until you could prove that you were not going to be a danger to society. At the age of 17, he was put in prison for stealing a bike. And he is now 29 and he is still in prison. And all he gets is a chance every two years to come before a parole board and try and prove that he's worth being released. And each time they've rejected him because uh, he can't access anger management in prison because the uh, waiting list is too long. Other prisoners see him as an easy target, so they pick on him uh, and this causes fights. And obviously that goes on his record. So he is still in prison. And all a huge part of our justice system is based on this thing that prison is the answer. That actually, if you've done something wrong, Judgment is about you getting punished and put behind bars, either so you will learn your lesson or so you'll be removed from society. And what I want to just unpack a little bit for us today is that that is not the only way of understanding judgment, that God's judgment can be seen as something different. But right at the start, I want to say that I haven't got this all set, sorted. I haven't got this all straight. Actually, I thought that studying three years of theology, by the end of it, I'd have all the answers. But actually, for, in some ways, I've got even more unanswered questions. Um, and as I leave All Hallows, I just think back to the first time I think that I walked through those doors, which was probably seven and a half, bit more than seven and a half years ago. It was an evening service like this, except I think there were still pews in those days. And the pews were in lines, uh, and there was a guy speaking to us. Uh, and the, thing, most, the main thing I remember about him was he didn't have any shoes on. This was Luke Briggs. I don't know if you remember him. But he was talking from Nehemiah, and he talked about how um, there were many people building this wall and they, all, they were build, rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and they all had different roles and they all had different perspectives. And he was talking about this concept, which probably was the first time I'd heard this spoken, this preached from the front of a church, saying it was okay if we didn't agree on everything. It was okay if we didn't all have the same answers. We could work together to build God's kingdom. And, and kind of that's kind of developed in me and something that I've really learned from All Hallows from my college, this idea of generous orthodoxy. That actually, it's okay to be Christians together and say, we don't get all this stuff. We're not sure. You might have this view on it. I might have that view on it. But actually, what we're going to do is we're going to come together around Jesus and we're going to believe that together we can build the kingdom of God. And we're not going to hide these things under the carpet. It, sort of, it was significant for me because at that moment in my life, I was really struggling with some of this stuff about judgment and about hell and eternal punishment. Uh, and uh, I came to a place where it was okay to struggle. It was okay to wrestle. And what I'd love, if we remember nothing else from today, I'd love us to take away that it's okay if we read a bit of the Bible and we find it hard. It's okay if we read a bit of the Bible and we don't like it. It's okay. We can, it's, and what we want to create here, and what I think we, we are creating here, is a safe space where we can say that. Where we can say, actually, this is difficult, and I don't get it, but let's work together. Let's trust each other. And let's wrestle with some of these things and believe, not necessarily that we'll get the answers, but that we might encounter Jesus in it. So my prayer tonight is not that we get all the answers to these questions, because they're big questions that theologians have wrestled with for 2,000 years or more. 
but actually maybe we'll hear what Jesus has to say to us. So why does the Bible talk about judgment? Why when God comes back, might there be judgment? Well, it comes back to our sugar and our salt. Because some of us might like to pretend that the world is full of sugar. But actually, if we live with our eyes open, we see that it's not. I don't know if you've ever shouted, it's not fair. Put your hand up if you've ever shouted, it's not fair. Um, when I did this this morning, none of the kids wanted to admit that they'd ever shouted that. It was just all the parents saying, yeah, yeah. Um, you might have shouted it's not fair, and sometimes you might have been told, well, life's not fair. And you know what? Sometimes that's true. Life's not fair. But there, let me tell you something, that when life's not fair, God gets mad. God is not okay with things being unfair. God is not okay with injustice. So we're going to have a go at shouting it's not fair together. Can we do this? There's not many of us who are going to need to be loud. Should we stand up? Let's stand up. Come on. I'm going to count to three, and we're going to shout it's not fair. One, two, three. It's not fair. And then each time I say shout, I want you to say it's not fair. Because when we hear that 740 million people in the world live on less than £1.60 a day, we should shout, it's not fair. When we hear that every day over 40,000 people are made refugees due to war, we should shout, it's not fair. When we hear about 125,000 children in this country who have no place to call home, we should shout, when we hear that over half the people living in our city sometimes feel lonely and that over 10% of people in London say that they are always lonely, we should shout. It's not fair. When we see our friends and our neighbours, when we see our family suffering because they fail to believe that they're worth anything, because no one tells them that they're loved, because they don't believe that there is a God who cares about them and loves them, we should shout. It's not fair. Well done. Thank you, guys. Sit down. You see, God shouts, it's not fair when he sees his children mistreated, when he sees his world fractured, when he sees institutions and structures that marginalize people, that exclude people, that leave them out. God is passionate about justice because he believes that every human has dignity and worth. He believes in each person that there is the image of God. And we need to hear these voices of judgment because on the whole, our lives are pretty comfortable. And that's not to diminish the problems and struggles that some of us have in our lives. But in the Western world, we live a privileged life. And actually, we would do well to hear the voices of the marginalized, to hear the voices of the oppressed who cry out for justice and cry out for judgment. The refugees and the slaves victims of violence and war will happily cry out for judgment because judgment means that there will be a better world, that there will be a tomorrow filled with hope. And in this series, we've spoken of a God who is coming to put this world to rights, to bring liberation to the oppressed, hope to the hopeless, dignity to the worthless. And this means judgment is needed. A judgment that says yes to liberation says no to oppression. A judgment that says yes to reconciliation says no to division. A judgment that says yes to life says no to death. God's judgment is needed because our world needs to be unmixed. But if we look closely, when we read this passage about the sheep and the goats, we're meant to be surprised by what God's judgment looks like. 
because there was this expectation and what this passage is part of kind of a genre in the Bible called apocalyptic literature. And you'll get most of that from like the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And it's about the end is coming and God is coming to kind of set us free. And there was this expectation when Jesus was around that um, God was going to come and he was going to go, oh, here are my chosen people and I'm kind of plucking them out. And the Jewish people thought it was going to be them. We're going to be vindicated. He's going to say we're okay and he's going to crush everyone else. But the thing that surprised them when Jesus told this story is the criteria that are given for judgment. It's not the people with the right knowledge who end up kind of in the kingdom. It's not the people with the right beliefs or the right behavior necessarily. It's how you treat. First of all, he says, the least of my brothers and sisters. So you might think, oh, how you treat Christians. But then he really wants to get his point home. So at the end, he says, the least of these. How you treat the least of the people on earth is the criteria that Jesus brings to judge with. Not do you go to church enough. Not do you say your prayers enough. Not have you preached to enough people or built a big enough empire. Not how much have you achieved. But this, do you feed the hungry and do you welcome strangers? Do you clothe the naked and do you care for the prisoner? And notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say whether the hungry deserve to be hungry. It doesn't say whether the strangers are friendly or angry. It doesn't say what the naked are doing naked or why the prisoners are in prison. No, this judgment is based on how you treat the weak, how you treat the worthless, how you treat the unworthy. And it reflects the God of justice who is coming to this world. Because so much of our injustice is due to human institutions and structures, things that oppress people and push them down. And the answer is not to violently oppose those things. Notice what the answer is. It's to go to the one. It's to build relationship because all these things are about restoring relationship. Rather than walking by the hungry, we stop and we give them something to eat. Rather than ignoring the naked and embarrassed kind of way, we pause and we offer them our spare clothes. Rather than walking past the stranger because we're too scared to say anything, we see in them the face of Jesus. We see the dignity that they have. It tells us about a God who will go to the edges, to the forgotten corners, who will start by restoring dignity to those who have none. It's about a God who relentlessly pursues the God forsaken. And it's difficult to live a life of love. It's difficult to pursue those on the edges. And as I leave All Hallows, I'd love to talk about the many stories where I've done this and God has come through. But the reality is we also leave behind the unfinished stories. The stories where it seems that I've loved people and they're now further from where I want them to be. They see less of their dignity and their worth. But if I believe in a God of judgment who goes to the edges, then I know that even more than I relentlessly pursue in love, he will relentlessly pursue in love. But there's another problem that I find when I'm reading this. Because I'd like to call myself a sheep. I'd like to be on that good side that gets the stamp of approval, that says, well done, you fed the hungry, you clothed the naked, you visited the stranger, you've gone to the prisons. But if I'm honest with myself, where am I? Well, I'm much more likely to be on the other side. Because if I totted up all the people 
that I'd helped and I'd served, and even just not totted the number of times that I'd walked past a person in need begging on the street, then I know actually the problem is that I'm far nearer to the goats. But there's something else about this parable which should encourage us. It's not only what the judgment is, but it's who is judging. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all his angels and he sits on his throne. The Son of Man was a term that Jesus used for himself. It's taken from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament about when God comes at the end, this will be his kind of human on earth to restore order to the nations, to rule over everything. So Jesus is saying, when I come to rule, I will bring judgment. But notice what he says. He doesn't just say, well done, you fed the hungry and I care about the hungry. He says, well done, you fed the hungry, you fed me. When you notice the stranger, you notice me. When you go to the hardened criminal behind bars, you go to me. Jesus is the coming judge, but Jesus puts himself in the position of those who will be judged. Those we imagine are too far gone for God. Because if we're honest, not only might we have to put ourselves in the position of a goat, but we might also have to be honest that we judge others, that we exclude others, that we think in our heart of hearts if there's a judgment coming, well, that person is definitely going to be on the wrong side of it. And it might not be that we ourselves judge the poor and the hungry this way, but there might be other people, maybe it's the rich and the wealthy, that we look at and think, well, God's coming for you. But here's the problem. When we draw a line in the sand, when we build a wall and say we're in and you're out, when we point the finger and say God's judgment is coming on those people, when we honestly believe that a group of people are unworthy, are deserving of punishment, are beyond God's reach, when we draw that line or build that wall thinking we're on the inside, then Jesus stands on the outside. Jesus identifies with those you judge. And he challenges you to cross that line. He challenges you to knock down that wall. And he challenges you to go to those you exclude and see in their faces the face of Jesus. Jesus puts himself in the forgotten places, the recipients of judgment. That's where Jesus places himself. This is not a judge who sits on high and determines who lives and who dies. This is a judge who comes and stands with those who are judged. But he goes further. If you've, got, if you've got Matthew's open, you'll see that this is the last of a series of parables, and the next thing that happens in Matthew's gospel is Jesus gets arrested. And Matthew tells us the story of Jesus on the cross. And just think about that list of things Jesus has said. Those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who are naked, those who are strangers, those who are sick, and those who are in prison. Well, Jesus becomes imprisoned and arrested. Jesus suffers incredible torture and bodily harm. Jesus' best friends desert and forsake him. Jesus becomes thirsty. Matthew makes this point that he cries out on the cross and they say, I must be thirsty. Let's give him something to drink. When Jesus goes to the cross, he stands with the hungry and the thirsty and the stranger and the criminal and the God forsaken. And Matthew tells us of one thing that Jesus cries from the cross. 
it says Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God is forsaken. God becomes the God forsaken one. Jesus cries out in pain, not just saying that the hungry are a bit like me, that I feel sympathy towards the stranger, that I kind of have a warm heart when I talk about the prisoners. No, he stands with them. He says, I am a prisoner. I am a stranger. I am hungry and I am thirsty and I am sick and I am God forsaken. So if we, if the God forsaken ones are the ones who will be judged, well, Jesus turns that finger of judgment upon himself. Because the reality is we don't know what hell might be like. And we don't know who might be going to hell. And if anyone tells you that they know someone who's gone to hell, then they're lying. Because we don't know anyone who's gone to hell except one person. We know one person who has descended to the depths of hell. And his name is Jesus. And he is alive. And he has risen from the depths. He has swung wide the gates of hell. He has overcome the powers of sin and death that would hold us. His victory is final and total. And he is coming to bring a liberating judgment of grace and love that this world might be unmixed, that this world might be turned the right way up. And we cannot say of anyone who is beyond the reach of his overwhelming love and mercy and kindness. What we know of justice, mostly in this country, is retributive justice. You do something wrong and you get punished. Well, the justice of the cross is restorative because Jesus takes the wickedness and the evil and the pain and the brokenness in this world. And rather than retaliating, he opens his arms wide and he says, I will not fight back, but I will take that wickedness on myself. And he cries from the cross, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Those people we exclude, those people we think will Meet the wrath of God. Jesus speaks over them. Father, forgive them. If we want to know what the coming Jesus is going to look like, we look back to the judgment of the cross. And we see that there is no one or nothing in this world beyond or outside of the redeeming power of Christ to mend and restore. So we dream together of a better world. And we sit with our friends and we sit with strangers. And we dream with them of new hope and new possibilities. And we sit with ourselves. For we've talked about people we exclude, but how often do we exclude ourselves? How often do we say, actually, the judgment is coming on myself? If I am a goat, if I am the one who ignores the stranger and does not feed the hungry, and I shudder at the judgment of God, maybe that's initially a good response, but then I remember that Jesus stands with the God forsaken. And I will not get into heaven, into the kingdom of God, by doing what is right. I will not get in by all my best efforts, because all my best efforts fall short. I will get in because there is a God in heaven who loves me enough to give up everything, to come and open his arms upon that cross, 
to cry for me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To tear apart the Godhead in his passionate quest of love. To descend to the very depths of hell. To the place where we cannot imagine. And from there to rise. From there to come out of the grave and say, no longer will the grave have the final say. No longer will death be your master. No longer will sin control you. But no, I have called you by name. You are valued. You are accepted. You are loved. That is the judgment of God over you. You are his and he calls you by name and he invites you, he calls you, he urges you to go out of these doors and to declare his judgment over the world. A judgment that seeks out the forgotten, that seeks out the hungry and the thirsty, that finds the stranger and invites them in, that goes to the deepest, darkest prisons and declares a message of hope that God's judgment is life and that God, Jesus, stands with the God-forsaken ones. Jesus stands with those that we might exclude, that we might fear, that we might think they are hopeless cases. That is where Jesus stands. And he invites us to come and to see in those people the face of Jesus, to serve them as if we were serving him. Let's just take a moment. We're going to do two things in prayer. I'd love you just to close your eyes. There's one or two of us here, at least one or two of us, that need to hear those words afresh. Jesus says you are accepted. Jesus says you are accepted. Jesus says you are chosen and you are loved. You have placed yourself on the outside. You see yourself on the outside looking in. But Jesus stands next to you. Jesus is there with you. Your place is at the table. Just pray this prayer in your hearts if you want to respond to that. Father, you have come. You have sent your son into this world that I might know I am loved and accepted. I have believed lies over myself and I have lived out of the consequences of those lies. I have called myself unlovely. But you call me lovely, precious, beloved one. I choose to believe your words over me. And as we receive from the Father, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And there might be someone in your life, either that's in desperate need, or that you have judged or excluded. So Holy Spirit, come, speak to us. That name might pop into your head. There might be a picture in front of you of a person. You might see someone. God is calling you to love them. And it might be hard. We're going to say yes to him. We're going to go with his words of judgment that bring grace and restoration of relationship. 
Because, Father, we have judged. We have excluded those that your son includes. We have spoken words of curse, even if it's only in our own hearts, over people's lives. We've said they're hopeless and they're gone. But you speak a different word. The judgment of the cross says that there is still hope. The judgment of the cross says that your love is total and absolute. That you will go to the farthest corners in pursuit of justice. God, give us opportunities this week to show love to someone that we've excluded, to someone that maybe that person that you just told us about now. Show us how we can do that, God, because we're not always sure. and Sometimes we're too scared. God, send us to them and enable us to see in their face the face of Jesus. Amen.